Welcome to Female Inner Power, the podcast for women who don't want to choose between work success and life happiness. I'm your host, Nomi Melkyonatan, leadership coach and courage catalyst. Each week, I will share a refreshingly honest conversation about how to trust your intuition, lead from female power in male-dominated spaces, and inspire you to be a more confident force for good in the world. Are you ready? Welcome, welcome to another episode of Female Inner Power. Today's guest is Jane Sassini. Jane is the director of Bridge Partnership and a co-founder of the Bridge Institute. She's been working in the field of leadership and system evolution for more than 25 years and in Bridge for more than 20 years. I've had the personal pleasure of being mentored by Jane, of being a participant in many, many of her trainings and learning from Jane's research, Jane's masterful facilitation. And it's always an absolute pleasure to learn from Jane. In this particular conversation, we dive mostly into her recent research that she was leading within Bridge around how did she get there. There is a paper that we are linking to here in the show notes, and I think you'll enjoy reading it. Jane is going through the five insights of this research. This is research where she interviewed more than 50 women, 50 women that have made it to the top of mostly patriarchal organizations in a patriarchal culture, but they've somehow managed to stay themselves and not have to become honorary men. They've managed to just be the women that they are. And what Jane and the Bridge Research dove into was really, what does it take and what's going on here and how do we get more women to succeed just want to read you a little bit of a quote that Jane shares later on. She says, you can't create change by berating people and making them wrong. And actually, nobody's doing anything wrong. You can't be going and saying the fact that women are not succeeding in your organization is because the men are doing something wrong. No one is doing anything wrong. The women aren't doing anything wrong. And we have to stop trying to fix the women. And the men are not doing anything wrong. We have a problem of imagination. I think this point is so incredibly powerful. There are many, many nuggets in this conversation. I encourage you to listen all the way to the end and to download the How Did You Get There research paper. So let's take a breath. And dive in. Jane, welcome to the Female Inner Power podcast. I have been looking forward to this conversation and I'm really excited to dive in both um, hearing about you, because even though I know you, I know I'm going to learn new things today. And also, of course, about your how did she get their research. Before we dive into all of those pieces, can you just tell everybody that might be listening, what does your life and work look like right this moment? Um, well, I spend a lot of it in this corner of my house. <laughs> um, on my new sit with your legs crossed chair, which I'm really proud of. Um, so that at least it feels like I'm sitting on the floor now. <laughs> but I do mainly do two things. Um, I work for Bridge Consulting, we're leadership development programs and 
uh, team building and working with senior leaders one-on-one, um, a lot of women. And I'm, I also do the research, obviously, which is kind of where what brought us to this moment uh, for, for Bridge. Uh, and we also have a charity, Bridge Institute. So I did quite a lot of work for them. Um, just come back from India working on an anti-human trafficking program that's in its fifth year and doing very well. So that's doing leadership work with people who are trying to solve societal problems. And um, yeah, taking on some of the biggest, you know, climate change, how to resettle refugees, how to reduce, you know, we're working a lot on the on the sustainable development goals and particularly five, which is which is about equality for women. Um, so combating gender-based violence and things like that mainly because well because that's awful but also because it's very widely thought that if that one gets solved the rest will get a huge step up wow well I I mean I was gonna focus it on you but we can't I cannot skip over that one just uh, stay stay with that one and and expand a little bit if if the gender-based violence gets solved the other Massive well, no, world if, crisis. Yeah, if women and girls are find equality in the world, so equality in work and education, um, it's widely thought that they will, by balancing the workforce, solve a lot of the other global issues that we have. Um, and there's lots and lots of data out there to show that when women and girls get involved, the things start moving, the dial starts moving in the right direction so i can point you later at research that that shows that but it's a really it, you know climate change is a priority for the the institute bridge institute but really working with equality for women women and girls and you can't you can't get equality when there's so much misogyny so much violence in the world against women and girls yeah so i'm working different... at both ends of the the women thing (laughs) lust for words because it's such big important um topics and I mean I've had many conversations about well female leaders how often will they start a war how often will they send their kids you know into combat and what choices will they will they make so we could have an absolutely whole conversation with that I'm curious so you've been 30 something years doing leadership development I know you worked with massive multinationals you've been doing the charity work you've been working with uh, local councils and governments you've been doing it at all different scales the gender equality gap and working specifically with women and female leadership was that a sort of a thing that suddenly occurred to you during those 30 plus years or has that always been on your radar? Um, well, it's always been there and I have ended up in my career working with a lot of women, women who've stayed, who I've stayed alongside on their journey and now are becoming CEOs, COOs on boards of organisations. And so my kind of interest in how women lead has evolved, but I... I started probably the first thing I ever did in this field um, was I, I was studying NLP and we were asked to to look at a a problem that we have and a, and, a, and find people who had solved that problem um, and study them and see if I could transfer what they do. 
Um, and I looked at PMT, premenstrual tension, because I had terrible, you know, this is my twenties. I, I was really suffering, but I knew that there, I had friends who were having a different experience. And I called that PMX, premenstrual ecstasy. And I studied them and I discovered how to do it and how to transfer it, what to myself, first of all. And then, so the first ever kind of development work I did was teaching other women um, how to do that. And so, uh, and I read a lot um, and that reading took me into exploring kind of female societies because in female societies, um, this PMT didn't really exist. And, and to a large extent, that's because of the, the women kind of entering into that phase of the month each month in a way that really suited them. In a lot of history, that's been rewritten as women being pushed out at that time of the village or of the society and seen as somehow unclean but actually what when we look at the truth of that it what women were doing was saying okay this is a time that we have to it's like we have to ride this <laughs> we have to go with this and there's a lot of data around how women menstruate together and therefore they did that together um and so, you know, my interest, I've read a lot. I've read a lot of Rianne Eisler, and she's a big influence in my thinking. And she later on wrote a book on economics. Um, What's her name I, again? Rianne Eisler. Mm -hmm. uh, she wrote, I think it's The True Wealth of Nations or The Real Wealth of Nations. Mm -hmm. um, and extraordinary book, absolutely must read, because she kind of lays out why we're in the mess we're in and how... Probably the how to solve it isn't quite as clear as it could be. So, but I think she kind of explains one of the things that I talk a lot about in the research is the difference between what she calls partnership and dominance cultures um, and how some of the older female tribal cultures were partnership cultures. Um, and what she goes into is how um, capitalism is essentially a, relies on a dominance culture. Um, I won't kind of get into the details of that, but so our organisations have basically been set up in 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 that kind of hierarchical, um, paternal format uh, to to fit the culture that's required for the economic yeah need. But she, what she's saying is actually, is it really what's required? There is a different way. And I've always felt that there's a different way and, and, and have ended up working in a, an organisation where we have managed to find ourselves uh, a different way. So we don't have a CEO in Bridge and we, we have a partnership culture, which I could get into the details of, of how that works as well. But, um, yeah. Before we go to that, I I'm, I'm, was struck by one point actually you said, which was around the story that was told about women when we're menstruating that we exiled sort of from the tribe to go and menstruate together but actually you're saying actually it was a choice I'm curious because I know you've paid attention also to stories that us humans tell how much do you think the narrative for example around that and in general changes how we view women in society the narrative that shaped about like okay well women need to they have to exile rather than the women chose like well I think it's a deliberate shaping 
of the narrative. It's a kind of, it, it's a reaction. It, you know, I think that that power to kind of step out of society and go, this is a different, this is a special time for us, we need this time, was was um, reacted against. You know, that it wasn't liked. And so, so it, it, you know, most of history has been written by men um, until more recently. And I mean, I think part of it is just not really understanding. So, you know, let's see best case scenario, <laughs> not really understanding, kind of assuming that these, these kind of, you know, gathering women outside of the village is because the men chose that, you know, given the current dominant way that men sit in our society. But I think part of it is a deliberate kind of, well, we don't like the fact that they did that. So we're going to, we're going to spin this. Um, I mean, I don't understand really deeply why these things are, occur. I don't understand why there's so much misogyny. I don't understand why is there's a rise in misogyny in the world, really. There's a lot of anger from men towards women. Um, and that's not to say that there isn't in return, <laughs> but um, the power is in the hands of the men currently. So, you know, that then we end up with what's happening in Afghanistan and Iran and so on. So, you know, I don't, I don't, you know, I would like to, maybe the next thing I need to really deeply try and understand is what's really, you know, why is that happening? And um, I'm in various conversations that are kind of tipping into getting deeply into understanding that. Mm. It makes me think of a podcast interview that I heard quite a few years ago and I cannot remember who the woman was that was interviewed um she'd done a she'd made a tweet that had gone viral and had actually put her in in I think even in danger but she said one of the most interesting things I think about men and women and masculine and feminine that we've worked a lot us women on how to evolve femininity, how being feminine isn't weak and how being a woman has nothing to do with weakness and and sort of evolving it into rather than a fearful, being in the fearful part of it, being in the empowered part, where she mm -hmm. said with, with masculinity, a lot of times that hasn't evolved and that it's important as we're for a more healthy, balanced world, it's also like helping the man figure out, well, so if I'm not going to be that dominant hero type, and I know in your research, you talk about the Don Draper <clears throat> type of man, if I'm not going to be that all-knowing, never crying, not showing any weakness, if I'm not going to be that, what am I? How do I be a man? And that's there's been a lot less development and focus and role modeling around that. Mm. Yes, and I... And I, one of the big lessons that I've learned about change, and uh, I've probably learned that more in the, well, in all of the areas in the in the institute work, in the in the commercial work, is that you you can't create change by berating people <laughs> and making them wrong, and and actually, nobody is doing anything wrong, and so and I think that's incredibly important as we because the research came out and some people have come forward and said help us and that's one of the big messages is you can't be going and saying you know the fact 
that women are not succeeding in your organization is because the men are doing something wrong. No one's doing anything wrong. Um, the women aren't doing anything wrong and we have to stop trying to fix the women and the men are not doing anything wrong, but we have, we have a problem of imagination. I think, I think it's a failure of, you know, if we're doing anything wrong, it's because we don't have a vision. And so we don't really know yet what, because we've never had the experience, what would it be like? What would it look like if we were truly in balance um, that we can start, you know, like any great organization, we go, what's your vision? Start working towards it, break it down. We have, how do you do that when there's no vision? And so that's what we were trying to do in the research is, is go, okay, what, you know, how do women lead and, you know, all things being equal left to their own devices, what would, how would they most naturally evolve as leaders and how can we therefore help organizations start to shift in order to make that more possible um and how do we you know part a big part of that is is about imagination and about kind of going okay you know in in the paper itself there's a lot of imagination going on there's a lot of stuff that's come from the bridge consultants where i've gone okay here's the insight you lot are you know you're clever people and you can you can open your minds let's let's think now what what are we can we suggest that's going to help if that's the case how can we help organizations make, start to make those shifts you know and so you know it's the it's our best kind of go at that so far and actually yeah. even now as I start working with clients on this I'm realizing things about the how that aren't, aren't in there they have to be rewrite quite soon because <laughs> I go oh damn here's a here's how we'll have to do that until you start doing the work and and stepping into the space you don't really know exactly the how so but we we had a go at that and it does seem to be resonating <laughs> with people and different bits obviously make sense and kind of people are kind of grabbing onto different things that feel concrete and doable and having a go. Um, and that's great. And then we'll start to get feedback about what, what works and we can fill in the gaps. It's like we're building the jigsaw puzzle as we're putting it together. <laughs> so we'll link to the, how did you get their research? So anyone who wants to read it and it's a full version or the executive summary can do that. Um, but you've interviewed 40, at least 40 women that are incredibly successful, that didn't do it, as you call to, they didn't become honorary men, they did it by not changing themselves. Um, can you tell us what the key insights, and maybe, I, I don't know, maybe it's even changed from the version of the report I have, but the key insights you're sitting with from that research, what are what are the key pieces? Yeah, so yeah, we interviewed... It's close to 50 women and and then we we also did a um a um a questionnaire that we put out to test some of the early insights that were coming out and that went out to about 300 and um they they've evolved but then we have five insights and the the first one's called parenting power i think that's what we ended up calling it <laughs> i would forget um and it's parental power, I think. And it's 
what that one is about is about um a kind of a sense of self-belief that these women had that was forged very young because they had they had very early usually one maybe two early role models who were kind of alongside them giving powerful messages about how well they could do and what that enabled was that they sidestepped what's called brilliance bias which is kind of quite a well documented thing which is that boys often given the message that what they do is brilliant and girls are given the message that they're good they have to be good and you know there's you know that extrapolates into later life um you know there's a there's a load of stuff about how you could just put a woman's name or a man's name on a CV. And with the man's name, it's seen as a much more impressive CV. <laughs> so we, you know, the bias around that is very powerful in our society and it starts very young. And so these women had stories that were incredibly clear about these role models. Um, and there was another group, a smaller group who had no parenting at all, <laughs> if you like. They, they had a very almost like an absence of parenting, not even bad parenting, just parents who passed away, being forced into um, parenting their siblings, things like that. Um, and those women um, also sidestep brilliance, uh, brilliance bias because they, it was like their, their belief in themselves as a leader was complete because they were doing it so young. <laughs> So they didn't expect to be led. They just expected to step into the space and problem solve. And um, so they also sidestep. So um, so the, the recommendations and the ideas around that is how do you help people if they haven't had that opportunity? And how do you give them that person? It's not too late. <laughs> or you know, how do you kind of unhook them from the, the, the poor belief and give them new beliefs? Um, and then the second one was about, you know, uh, we've all we'd all read Link lean in and we kind of expected to see quite a lot of lean in in the data uh, you know women who are kind of going I know what I want I went for it I pushed for it I had a vision and after the first 10 interviews I thought this is weird because not one of the women that we interviewed had a story like that um they had little moments of that now and then where they kind of go I want to go there <laughs> I want to do that um but it was never a kind of method by which they kind of rose. Um, what they did instead was they, you know, one woman said to us, you know, I never asked for anything until I was bored. So, I, you know, women were saying, I wanted to do work that I loved. Uh, they were focused on purpose. They would move sideways of the, working in a place where it felt meaningless. Um, if they felt they were working in a community that, undermine them that didn't they didn't feel supported so they followed their curiosity they worked hard they took risks they moved sideways so that one is we call that a different path up the mountain and um you know rather than kind of trying to go after something really clear from the get-go follow you know uh, getting organizations to allow for different ways of of getting where you know to into senior roles um and I was just listening to, I think it's Eleanor Mill, who's who's created the platform for what she calls Queen Ages, middle life women. Um, and she was talking about this um, in an interview I saw the other day. She was saying, she was talking about middle age, middle life women and saying, 
you know that you know they they get to a certain point where they're not really that fussed about hierarchy or the money they want meaning and they want and I was thinking yeah but I I don't think it's just middle life women I think it's all women um are looking for meaning and some some will kind of take what's on offer to survive as we all will um but they're not really going after the top they're not kind of lean leaning towards something very specific uh unless it's a kind of you know right context right people right purpose um and they can get on and do some something that you know feels rewarding um then there's if you're a unicorn don't try to be a horse and this is a really interesting one which is that a lot of the women would would talk about how in their early careers they sort of went into organizations they're very male they look around like anyone would and go how do I behave in order to belong here and then they'd find at a certain point that they were distorting their behavior so much to fit in that it it was exhausting and there were a lot of them who had a kind of epiphany a moment of reclaiming themselves and going actually I I can't do this unless I'm myself and kind of taking back some of the skills that they and and you know ways abilities ways of operating that hadn't they hadn't seen around them but felt more natural um and leading more authentically embracing their differences and um yeah so kind of reclaiming themselves from the you know the prevailing paradigm in the organization and quite you know some of them had to almost uh, later on in their careers create subcultures in their organizations in order to lead that way and to uh to keep keep doing that and it really links with the fourth one which we called lead like these women because a lot of that was to do with you know working in collaboration with empathy using their intuition being very kind of putting themselves in people's shoes a lot to work out what's needed not relying on their own um opinions and ideas entirely um not kind of seeing themselves as figureheads and um, being vulnerable being open and and so on and um you know, a lot of them have kind of had to come back to that but then some, then felt more you know, it's less exhausting they can have more natural power if they're if they're doing it as themselves and you know then they'd start looking a bit odd in the environment they were in so there's a risk um but the the payoff was more um and then the so that yeah the fourth one was lead like these women and um you know that was that was interesting because whilst we were doing this research we were also working with clients on programs leadership programs and I'm kind of going this is weird because the way these women are leading is how these organizations are asking us to train people not just women everyone in the organization and um and so there's this strange thing happening that you know they 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 bring people into the organization they get to a certain point leading in a way that the organization actually doesn't want and then they go no we've got to retrain them and the way we need to retrain them is we need them to be more collaborative more empathetic 
it's very complex what they're dealing with. They've got to be design thinkers. They've got to use their intuition. They can't just rely on analytics and logic in order to solve very complex problems. They've got to feel their way through some of this and discard amounts of data and see what's emerging. And and this is how the women that we were interviewing would, would naturally lead. So, you know, the link to the one before about being a unicorn is, you know, they go into the organization and everything is telling them you've got to stand out, you've got to be individualist, you've got to, you know, lead from the front, you've got to know your vision, you've got to have all the answers. And, um, but then, you know, what organizations are realizing that doesn't work in in very complex context. Um, so we're kind of going, you know, don't try and change women to leave, be- you know, better in the context that you have. Let them lead, lead the way they want to, um, and then they can take the rest of the organization with them. Um, and then the final one, which was the one that I mentioned earlier about partnership, not dominance. You know, really, I remember reading a book um, at the uh, at the beginning of the research, um, which was about how women had the subtitle was called 10 Habits That Hold Women Back. And one of these habits was collaboration. <laughs> And I, I was just like, it just was such a cognitive dissonance for me. I mean, the whole book was odd. Uh, I won't say it's who it's written by, but it's it, its title was How Women Rise. And the subtitle was The Ten Habits That Hold Women Back. And I thought, that's not how women rise. That's how. Anyway. And I just thought, well, how on earth is collaboration a problem? And of course, it's a problem if you're wanting to stand out and be seen and be the individual figurehead leader um, and get to the top and rise above others and all of those things. Um, but, you know, the, that fifth insight was really about, you know, women talking about how they could only really succeed if they rose together with others and have built networks where they kind of paid it forward all the time where they could really rely on support from others and and wanted to give it and many many of them are mentoring other women to come through and but you know primarily they they their natural inclination is to be in partnership and you know one of my big realizations is what organizations need to do now in order to encourage that and all of the others is to create cultures, to create partnership cultures. And when I say partnership cultures, I mean, you know, within the organization, yes, um, doing the kind of collaboration work that is, we're helping organizations train all the time, but also partnering with the families. You know, why, why are organizations not partnering with a woman's family, with a man's family, and working out, you know, how do we get the most out of these people by being the most supportive we can for what they need in their family, partnering with the community. How do we exist in this community in a sustainable way if we aren't really thinking about how we are um, benefiting from the community, but also how we might be damaging the community and how we take care of the ecology of that, the planet, you know, how, how can we exist if we're not thinking about the resources you're partnering with the planet, partnering with the community, partnering, really being in partnership with the individuals. And as Rianne Eisler, who was kind of my 
I've never met her. I'd love to. My, my mentor in in reading um, would say, you know, you cannot have an economy where caring and caregiving is is completely undervalued anymore. I mean, that's that's what our um, cultures have created, um, and you know, so the really important work of you know creating the humans and looking after the humans who are going to run our companies in the next decades is totally un- unvalued in our societies. And, you know, so what we're talking about is, is really complete partnership all the way, all the way down. And those are they. <laughs> Can you say more about what that looks like? I'm thinking that lots of women listening are going like, well, I have this position in an organization or I run this department or this is where I'm sitting. And, and how do I do this partnership? And can I do it while I wait for the system to change? Like, how do I operate within? I don't really necessarily want to leave maybe the organization or the job I'm in. How do I start doing more of this partnership thing right now within the system? Is that even possible to do it within the current system? Well, I think it is. I mean, it's tricky because we have this really strange situation at the moment where everyone has a has a matrix organization, but doesn't really understand what that really means. And um, so matrix comes from the word mother. And, and actually specifically from the word for womb. And the idea of a matrix is, the original idea is that you bring you create an environment around a problem where the problem can be help, you know, can grow in a healthy way that the solution can grow in a healthy way that can be solved and nurtured until you don't need that environment anymore. And then you, those people who are part of that matrix can then move away and that thing becomes self-sustaining and you maybe put a few people in place to support the ongoing work. And then those people can gather around the next solution. Um, but it only really truly works if you if you take out the verticals. And you know, there were never, you know, the verticals were the kind of hang, you know, hanging on from the old frameworks. You know, we kind of go, we want a matrix, we want these horizontal ways of seeing things, we want this skill-based, we want to get the right people, you know, around the right issues. Um, but if you're still putting in these vertical controls, then you end up with this really hilarious situations where people do incredibly complex races you know racy is my the baby you know when I hear well we've done the racy I kind of go oh no because I know that no one ever looked at a racy after they done the racy it's like a an attempt to somehow make the matrix work with the verticals in place like someone's got control here someone's got responsibility and accountability um and this idea that unless we put it on a piece of paper, no one's going to be accountable, which it's just not true. You know, human beings are, you know, if you're giving them good work, if it's a problem worth solving, they are naturally accountable. They will, they will follow through. Uh, they want to do a good job. Um, so, you know, one of the things I say in the research is remove the verticals, but that, you know, if you know, that's not easy to do overnight. So, you have to start focusing on the purposes rather than the roles. That's one of the ways to think about it. That if you start thinking about 
what are we trying to do rather than who should do what and then who and then go well if we're trying to achieve that who do we get around that and you start to break some of the rules of hierarchy you know what does it matter what level um you know why does this person x have to have have control of so much why can't they just let go (laughs) and you know so you focus on purpose you let go of this obsession with roles and levels um you start to reward collaboration instead of competition um you start to really create opportunity for diverse networks so that people know they don't just know their team they know what's available what skills what abilities are available in their organization they they can kind of go oh i know you know marina from russia or i'm probably not russia now but uh, from another part of the world well you know has those skills i met her on that call or i met someone in a in a another place and i can i can bring these people together because they've got the know-how to solve this problem um so there are lots of things you can start to do um and but particularly you know starting to value caring and broaden partnerships you know when we're working in when when businesses come to us with problems to solve not just kind of pure leadership work to do what we almost always are saying to them is you're not looking broad enough um to find your solutions you're not bringing in wide enough parts of the system and um, a lot of our leadership programs have big, you know, kind of adaptive challenges within them that that uh, participants are solving. And one of the hardest things that we found is to get them to go and talk to people outside the organisation, <laughs> um, to get insight and to get new perspectives and new ideas. They might read, um, you know, something from McKinsey or Forbes or <laughs> or hbr but they you know to you say well we say to them we want you to speak to someone from another organization anyone about what they do to you know in this particular you know not a competitor if that's too hard and and they can't it's like it's almost uncomputable they so we have to go so did you ever work in another organization they go oh yeah do you know anyone who still works in that other organization (laughs) oh yeah so it's like thinking you know think partnership is actually really simple it's about going out and having conversations and bringing in new you know thinkers into the system and one of our biggest kind of insights working with the institute and in bridge is that it's the the end users of the problem are the most powerful partners to have in in and it's amazing how few organizations you know, bring the customer in, bring, you know, in government, bring, they now have this thing, which is a um, lived experience, you know, in government, they have lived experience experts, which basically are what I'm talking about. And there's a big row raging about whether they should actually pay lived experience experts, you know, what what kind of qualification do they have to help? with cost of living crisis or with, you know, with how do we resettle refugees or, but whenever, you know, if we, when we're working with the refugees, we, we have the refugees in the room. When we're working with the uh, human trafficking, we have survivor leaders in the room. When we're working with a big problem with 
an organization we get customers in the room and, and you know i've been in hotels and in retail and and had very very senior um leaders quaking in their boots because they're going to talk to some customers <laughs> not the marketing team because that's their you know we do that all the time um but it's kind of in a quite a controlled setting but um you know others well, we don't really do that <laughs> And um, and then they come out and go, oh my god, epiphany! That was so brilliant. <laughs> and um, you know the insights they get are incredible. So starting to open up the boundaries, bring more and more uh, people into your system. That you know the ben- see the benefits, and then and then you know stuff starts to change. It makes me think that um, the whole partnership approach and everything you're talking about really requires us to rethink leadership, whereas it's still very much when I speak to any of my clients and show up in organizations, people think about, well, I become a leader when I have people reporting to me when I have followers when I and and whenever they're like oh well this person doesn't report to me so how will I get them to do anything (laughs) how will I get like that whole mindset gets totally in the way of everything you're talking about and it feels like all of that comes from from fear like you said this is not what any human naturally wants to do they don't just want to do what they're told in fact we resist things we're told to do um but Mm. how do you think we need to reframe our thinking about leadership to evolve into much more of this partnership approach well we at bridge we say that leadership exists um where consciousness of what needs to change meets courage to act so we kind of simplify it. We go, are you con- you are you aware that things need to change? And um in any way, you know, in this room, in your mind, in this part of the organization, in the whole organization, are you there stepping into that space? Um and if you're not, you're a spectator. You know, if you're aware of lots of things that need to change and you're not acting if you're just carrying on with status quo, then you're not leading. Leading always presupposes change and always presupposes courage because you don't know what you'll get in return. Um, but it doesn't presuppose large teams. You can lead anyone, anywhere, in any situation. It might, you know, it might be that no one in the room reports to you, <laughs> but you can still lead them. You know, you can still say the atmosphere in this room is is appalling the energy is gone let's shift it you know that's an act of leadership that's one of the most terrifying acts of leadership that most people ever make you know those small acts of leadership that shift the dialogue that get people breathing again that you know get the thinking turned up again are the most important acts of leadership so you know managing often require you know if you haven't got a team there's not much managing you have to do (laughs) but um but leadership can be can happen come from anywhere at any time and um i don't you know i think i think that's the whole kind of obsession about role um so you know maybe that's another element we need to put into the paper it's it's is rethink leadership from you know roots that from its roots it's not about who you have in your team at all you can have a massive team and lead nothing if all you do is 
go and do the same stuff that you did yesterday <laughs> and do it in a really comfy way without ever having to shift anything. But um, yeah, so yeah, that's how we think about it. And we're kind of helping people think, what am I spectating that I that I care about? Because it does mean it does need to have meaning. If if you don't care, you're not gonna have the courage. Um so you know, we we are also working with people to go, what is it about this that matters to you? And you know, that's something that women do um naturally, powerfully, they go, you know, maybe it's because it's really hard for women and they kind of go it's hard enough if I love it it's hard enough if it has meaning and I care so why would I also do work that I don't care about that has no meaning that only it's only functions to put food on the table you know and that might be a choice that people need to make but they are you know we talk about women not being at the top and, you know, a really long time ago when we did a big piece of work for a retailer trying to get, the, they asked us, how do we, you know, we want to get the women into store manager roles. Um, and when we went and asked the women, you know, what stops you? Because they weren't applying for these roles. They would go, well, look at, look at the store manager. Have you seen it? <laughs> look at what he has to deal with look how stressed he is look how how tough his life is why would i why would i do that so women they opt out you know they kind of go i'm i'm going to make this choice because you know it might be slightly less food on the table but it's enough and it's hard enough for me right now why would i want to put myself in that position so we do have to think about purpose and meaning and, um, you know, we're, you know, being really in partnership and, you know, that doesn't make them snowflakes. That doesn't make them, uh, you know, if we could create that meaning for everyone, everyone would feel like it was, it was a good, a better place to be. And we'll put more into the work that they're doing. Yeah. The, um, this conversation about opting out is so familiar in, you know, the 15 years of coaching work I've done. And there's an anecdote in the How Did You Get There research, which I'd love you to to tell and for us then to briefly, I mean, we could record for another few hours, briefly talk about the piece about women not having a clear vision of where they want to go. And maybe that helps you know which story I'm talking <laughs> oh, about. The one with the 100 women and the sea. Yes. <laughs> yes, if you could tell that one. <laughs> well, it was... A, it was um a client a couple of clients rang me up I was on a call with two you know leadership and development professionals in a in a massive um FMCG organization and they said oh Jane we need to help the women um and they said what had happened was the the CEO had got a hundred women in a in a room I think it was a hundred I say a hundred because that's what I remember and the CEO was a man and the CEO was a man, was a man. Yeah. yeah and he asked them where do you see yourselves in 10 years time? <laughs> and um, they sort of took a while to warm up. But then after a while, they were saying things like, I see myself doing something that I love, working with people that are really, you know, in, a, in an atmosphere that's really supportive and, um, you know, what that I really enjoy, that, you know, the culture that is, you know, and he, 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 they could see him, you know, these two women who'd set this up for him. 
they were starting to kind of feel uncomfortable because they could see him you know cloud came over his eyes and he he went oh, i'm sorry i have to stop you it's not really the question i'm asking you know i don't what i don't know what to do with doing something that i love i don't know what to do with um being a you know in a team that is really supportive what i'm asking for is concrete like what are the jobs what are your goals what are the and the, the, they said to me so jane we really need to help women know where they're going and i sort of went well hang on a minute <laughs> so you have a hundred women and one man in a room and and he doesn't know what to do with what they're saying isn't the problem that he doesn't know what to do with what they're saying rather you know you've concluded the problem is that these hundred women need to be somehow sorted out <laughs> and they both were you know they're brilliant women and they kind of got caught up in this whole thing and they just went oh god course <laughs> and um, and one of them you know is working with me at the moment still on um some how does she get their work in her new company so you know they they were really you know it was a moment of epiphany for them as well they were like oh gosh where do, you know they've kind of gone into a trance with it and this whole assumption that because he's the the ceo you know this is that this is the damage that hierarchy does. It stops you seeing the reality of what's going on in front of your face and the absurdity. Um, so he's not, you know, he's not going, oh, that's what women want. How do I create? How do I then find out what's meaningful to them? And how do I then get more into the kind of granularity about what's a great team and how do they think we can create that? And, yeah so it was it was a it was a funny moment and it was one of those moments you know moments like that that led me to do this research because we are asked so often to do work to try and help women get on better in the kind of very patriarchal male cultures that they're in and um you know it starts to feel more and more uncomfortable and looking at the data you know we're going backwards so a lot of leadership programs have been done to try and help women fit more uh, in the cultures that, you know, rather than thinking about how do we, how do we shift the cultures? And um, so I started thinking, I can't really support this anymore. It's not that I wouldn't support working with women, but I'm more interested in um, equity than getting women to fit in I'm more interested in the kind of work that I talked about earlier you know working with women to overcome the fact that they they did don't feel that they're brilliant <laughs> and realize that they are and get on an equal footing and um but I also you know some of the things that are really kind of clear in organizational life like you know there, there's a lot there's a lot of stories about how Men are more likely to go for jobs. They only feel sort of 30% ready for women or wait till they feel 90% ready. And everyone's kind of going, so how do we get women to go for jobs when they're not really feeling ready? And I'm kind of going, but isn't the problem that we get a lot of mediocre people who are going, going for jobs they're not ready for? Isn't that, you know, why is the fact that women are waiting till they're ready or waiting till they feel they can actually accomplish something in that job, the problem? 
So starting to, you know, really flip, and it's really hard to do to flip some of these things. You know, some of them came to me immediately, like in that meeting, it just seemed so obvious to me. But, you know, I get, you know, this is hard work to do because you go straight into the dynamics. The minute I go and work in a client, there's a power dynamic there in the organization. And um, so I've got to start thinking about how do I step over those before the conversation even starts? How do I not, you know, so, you know, one of the things I've, I haven't done this yet. I've always kind of worn, you know, consultant clothing, which for me is um, a sort of, it's got my own kind of character to it, but it's basically smart, casual clothing. And I'm thinking, I probably, I, you know, it's like I'm meeting them where they are. And I very much have always advocated meeting people where they are. But actually, now I want to think, maybe I need to dress differently to walk into a space that goes, oh, this is different. <laughs> I'm not meeting you where you are. I'm actually going to start shifting you from where you are right right from the get-go because the minute I walk in and start moving into your space then you know it's David and Goliath and I'm David (laughs) your space is much bigger than me I'm going to get changed before I get anything out of my mouth so starting to think how I can do that and how our consultants can do that is a really important part of being able to do this kind of change work Mm -hmm. We're coming towards the end of our time together. We'd easily record many more hours, but I'm thinking for any woman who's listening right now and thinking like, okay, I want to do this new leadership thing. I'm not sure about my brilliance. Um, What do you want them to take away from this conversation? Or perhaps maybe there's some other pieces of advice we haven't touched on yet. If there was like one, two, three pieces of advice for any woman who's listening and going, wait, I'm ready to step up and lead in a bigger way but in a way that is true to being me and being a woman what what are your pieces of advice oh that's really interesting because I um I actually this research is not advice for women and um although there is you know I know that women will take ideas from it and but it's not we we very carefully originally we were going to go okay these are the things that the insights here's the advice for women here's the advice for organizations and then we went no it's not that's it's not about women needing to be different so I suppose if I do have advice it's about do what comes naturally (laughs) think about which ways you've been distorted by the system and see if you can turn those back and it's not like overnight you're suddenly going to go, I'm not going to carry on with anything that's going on around here. You know, don't kind of go into total rebellion, but just start to think, what in what way am I distorting myself to fit in here? And how can I start to be more me? Um, and if you're a senior leader, you know, it's for, it's for leaders in organisations to start to think about how can I, how do we shift the organisation so that, it can allow for this more. And um, so, you know, everybody is responsible for that, not just the women. Um, But it's also not about allyship. You know, it's not that I think there's anything wrong with allyship, but there is an assumption there that because of the power dynamics, women need male allies in order to succeed. 
that you know that's not necessarily wrong but that's not the the big um message here and i suppose that you know for women who feel like they they don't see that their ideas are, are as good as the men around them they don't feel like they're brilliant you know they have cut off their horn they're, they're a unicorn who's cut off their horn and tried to be a horse then get support you know get therapy get coaching get someone alongside you a professional and this isn't just for women you know I've had a lot of men say to me but I'm I'm not you know I don't I mean even men who see themselves as alpha males and this is one of the things that I have had to make an adjustment for because I'm not saying that you know Don Draper is a very extremely specific version of an alpha male and it's not wrong to have some of that in you but you know the the best men I know are alpha plus. They're out. They're more than that. They are also have that empathy and that softness and that they have that range. And so it's about everyone kind of building their range, men, women, um, and allowing allowing more. You know, put your horn back on. <laughs> Allow your weird <laughs> your weird edges wear your strange clothes um i'm gonna have a go at going to a big presentation and wearing an emily emmeline panker emily pankhurst's quote on a t-shirt which is it says something i incite this room to rebellion <laughs> as a kind of message you know instead of you know trying to do some things that kind of go okay there's something else happening here um we're not we're not trying to fit in we're trying to change something so yeah i think do that um read the research and see if there are things in there that feel that they resonate with you and just pick up on them and and go with them you can't no one can do everything if anyone listening wants to connect with you or with bridge what is the best way to get in touch uh, we'll put the link, won't we, for the website and for the yeah. research. And so just go straight, go via that. You'll see contact details on the on our website. Perfect. Jane, thank you so much. I feel like I have loads more questions. Perhaps we will have them in another conversation. Really appreciate yeah. you showing yeah, up Well, here. let's come back at some time when we know how to, you know, work. Yes. We're just starting baby steps to work with with businesses to help them make these changes so we're learning a lot so back to we know nothing at the moment (laughs) (laughs) which is a whole nother conversation that I know that you've talked about and I've heard you talk about the power of being okay saying I don't know yeah yeah it's so helpful (laughs) perhaps a powerful (laughs) way to end we don't know we don't know what's next And hopefully there was lots of value in here. I know um, I got lots of value out of this conversation. Thank you so much. Thank you, Nomi. I've loved chatting with you. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe so you don't miss any new episodes. And I would love it if you would rate and review the show as it really does help other women to find it more easily. Remember, no matter what's going on around you, It only takes a single breath to start grounding back into your power. So let's take a breath. 
feel your power. And go spread the magic. <laughs>